collaboration requires trust and respect and the way to gain trust with people is to get to know them and that's normally through social interaction social relationships hello and welcome to shared space a podcast about the power of architecture and design to make us healthier happier and more connected i'm your host erin pd and i'm so glad that you're here with us Today, I'm joined by environmental psychologist, workplace strategist, change manager, researcher, author, and international speaker, Dr. Nigel Osland. Nigel works with his clients to redefine their work styles and create cost-effective, space-efficient workplaces that enhance concentration, collaboration, and creativity. And I was first introduced to his work through the Center of Conscious Design, and I took pages and pages of notes, and his lessons about loneliness and the workplace are so exciting and really important, and I'm just thrilled to be able to share this with you all. Nigel, welcome to Shared Space. Hello. Hello. Good good to be here. Thanks, Erin. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I want to start with just talking about sort of what your earliest memory was when you think of a place of connection growing up. So, so for me, I, th- I think it goes back to my days of walking, hiking and camping. I, I, as, as a child, I was a, a, mm-hmm. a cub, then a scout and then a venture scout. Mm-hmm. Uh, met a lot of friends through that. And where I was brought up in the Midlands, we were only two hours from Wales, which has got lots of mountain ranges. So most weekends we would spend uh, walking and hike or hiking and camping in, in Wales. And so, so for me, you know, there's always an image of mountains uh, and lakes and blue sky, although it did rain a lot, but you don't remember that bit, do you? You just remember the good times. <laughs> Actually, I'm to think of, I do remember putting that tent up in some really bad weather. <laughs> And but that yeah for me and and I think being outdoors um, uh, has always been attractive and and nowadays I'm I'm into my mountain biking so quite often I'll spend weekends away cycling in the mountains. Nice, that sounds amazing. Um, so and were those places where you would go with your family and some other friend? I guess with Cub Scouts. So I say it started with 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 scouts and being part of the yeah. the troop and 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 uh obviously your, your chaperone and, and and so on but but then later yeah. on it just became with uh, groups of friends and uh ex-scouts and then it became uh just a group of us who just used to go um enjoy going camping and then uh university uh, i met up um, with some rock climbers so occasionally we'd go off nice. and do some climbing um actually that introduced me to some quite quite decent mountains as well um proper mountaineering <laughs> proper yeah mountain. not, not just hill walking <laughs> but actually ropes and uh and gear and all of that it's a bit scary <laughs> yeah that is a bit scary um that's awesome so talk about sort of how you got to where you are today from you know really like what you just talked about, spending a lot of time outdoors to this counter we oftentimes think of as as the workplace and spending time thinking about the workplace. How did you first kind of get into this field? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? If I, if I tell the truth, it's quite a long story. Sometimes I give people the edited highlights, but I'll, I'll tell you where it yeah. all started. Um, I actually yeah. 
at uh, at school, I I I didn't go on and do what we call A levels, so um, mm -hmm. advanced kind of exams at school. I actually left and yeah. went to college. Um, and part mm -hmm. of the reason I went to college is because it was what we call block release. So you only go for 14 weeks a year. And then the rest of the year, mm -hmm. you they put you into places, secondments, and you work. And you get paid a little bit of money. And it, and it was for the NHS, for the hospitals. So I was, I was actually mm -hmm. trained to be a physiological measurement technician, which is basically anyone... Mm -hmm. Basically, we measure, we're the people who measure things like brainwave activity, heart rates, galvanic skin responses. That's where I started. And I worked at St. Bartholomew's big hospital in London, teaching hospital and research hospital. And I was working alongside psychologists because I was there to do the physiological monitoring when they were dealing yeah. with their patients. We wanted to know if there was a link between stress and measuring stress and, and therapy. We did something called alpha feedback therapy where we trained people to calm themselves using feedback signals from the brain. It was all interesting stuff. That got me to psychology. Yeah. So then I went off to university and did psychology um, for three years. Uh, so that's how I got into it. But then when I was inside, yeah. after, after the, the degree, looking for jobs and I knew I wanted to do research and I applied for two jobs uh, and only two <laughs> um, and one was with the Transport Road Research Laboratory and I was looking mm. to get a job to look at the effect of alcohol on driving which I thought would be really mm. fun and then the other job I looked at was with the building research establishment and that was working for their human factors department looking at how the built environment impacts on comfort performance well-being and so on although we didn't talk much about well-being there but certainly comfort yeah. and health and so on and and that was the job yeah. i ended up going into so that's how i in a very wow. long route I, I actually got into exploring people and buildings and then after 11 years at the building research establishment mm -hmm. and they were very good to me they they mm -hmm. they put me through my master's degree and my doctorate and um, and then after 11 years, I said, well, I can't carry on researching for the rest of my life. I need to go out and, and practice. Yeah. And, and what I wanted to do is take some of the things I'd learned over that 11 mm. years and put them into consulting practice and help people actually design buildings. I love that. Oh, my goodness. What? I mean, that's just so unique. I love hearing people's stories because you're like, Wow. I did a tiny bit. I was a research assistant mm. and did a tiny bit of that galvanic skin oh, response yeah. that you're talking about. And I think that it's just, it says so much about how you approach um, your work now. And I mm. think it just beautifully sort of summarizes kind of understanding that measurement as, as a foundational yeah. piece, but then that want to serve and understand and call to action and to change that you talk yeah. about. I mean, it's a really good point. You, I mean, I don't really think about it like that, but you're absolutely right. I, I think my my consulting practice is founded in evidence-based design and it's human-centric. So it's a focus on people, but it's using data and information. This is not about gut feeling, oh, that looks cool, that'll work. I think that's nice. It's about, okay, what what's the data? What's the information here? Also using feedback from the actual people themselves, the occupants, not rather than assume you know how they feel and what they want. So you're right. I think that kind of both the 
the, the, the hospital physiological measurement, very kind of objective data. And then the research that followed with the BRE has led, has definitely steered my view on how we should go about designing spaces. Yeah. Wow. Well said. I love that. So, okay. So talking about work, I think that, um, and, and sort of loneliness in this topic Mm. that, you know, sort of first introduced me, I think a lot of people think of loneliness as a personal issue and that that's completely separate from work. Um, and I'd love to hear you talk about that and, and why maybe you disagree. Again, I'm I'm quite happy now to, now now that the work's been done, I'm quite happy to be off on record. I was going to say off record, quite happy to be on record. About, about <laughs> some of how that came about, because I was approached by Lendleys to to do this piece of research uh, to look into workplace loneliness, and at the time I thought, "What's that? What? What's you know? So what? You know, go down the pub, have a drink, call someone. What's the problem? Yeah, I, did, I just <laughs> didn't get it, and and the reason I didn't get it is probably because I'm not affected. Uh, by by that, I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I mean, I, I, I you know, I don't mean I'm like immune to it. I mean, quite now the circumstances I'm in, I'm quite fortunate that I am surrounded by my family and I've got lots of connections and friends. And also, I'm quite extroverted and a little bit gregarious. I'm happy to go out and just meet people, talk to people I've never talked to, and all of that. So, you know, but but, but the problem with with loneliness is your circumstances can change. Tomorrow you might lose your family or your loved ones. You're put in a completely different situation, and that's a trigger for loneliness, perhaps, um, or your health might change or, or anything. So, so when they approached me, I, I kind of didn't get it. Um, but what I what I recognised is it was it was kind of similar to privacy. And I, for my masters, I did research on privacy, and 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 what is privacy? And privacy is very personal. Privacy is about you controlling the level of interaction that you want. And if you don't get enough interaction, you feel isolated. If you get too much interaction, you feel overburdened, overwhelmed, uh, overcrowded, whatever. So I kind of thought, oh, maybe it's a little bit like that. And and certainly when I looked at the the research, it does seem to be like that. Loneliness is different for everyone. The, 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 the physical element is just one part of it. You, you can be sat amongst a crowd of people and feel lonely, and equally you can be on a desert island on your own and not feel lonely. It depends on mm-hmm. what you're trying to achieve, what, what you, the level of interaction you require at that time. Mm-hmm. Loneliness is a big thing in the UK and, and in America as well. That, you know, that it, it's, it's on the agenda because of the health consequences and so on. It's, it's linked to heart disease because of stress uh, and, and all sorts of things. But workplace loneliness, loneliness in the work context is less talked about. Yeah. But it's there. There are studies out there, and, and certainly our study did show that there's a percentage of, of the population, uh, and it's, a, it's big numbers again, um, they're, they're in the report. Do you have a ballpark? I think in the UK we've got something like 12 million people working and, and 1 million of them can yeah. be suffering from loneliness at any time. So it's not an insignificant problem. And there was a great piece of research, again, it's because what I did was a literature review initially, um, done by the co-op and um, uh, uh, Lendlease and, and others, and they just found that workplace loneliness was costing our industry billions, partly because people are going sick with it, so having time off, or because they're having to look after people who've got it. 
Um, also, it just means that sometimes they're just not performing so well at work, so they end up having to leave, and then obviously then they have to be replaced, recruited, and so on. So, and back to my story, I didn't recognise it, and I think a lot of managers, a lot of workplace leaders, uh, are probably in that situation. It's probably never heard of it, don't get it, not a problem. I don't suffer from it. What's your problem? You know. Are you making this up? Mm-hmm. Are we ignore? Or do they ignore it? And it's kind of so. The first step is really just recognition that this this is a thing and it's out there and it's real and it and it has a yeah. big impact. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so one of the kind of follow up questions I've so many kind of uh, coming out of that, but one would be just if there's anything that you can share around the generation and age divide around some of that loneliness, because I find some of that really surprising. It can get quite complicated. There's so many factors or precedents, as, as they call them. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think like the perfect storm, uh, as it were, was it's kind of, we, we normally associate loneliness with elderly people who've lost loved ones and they find themselves in a situation mm-hmm. where they're, they're on their own kind of thing. But when it comes to workplace loneliness, it's probably more to do with young people starting a new job in a new town, not knowing people around them, probably living in pretty cheap and nasty accommodation in a rough part of town. So they don't want to go out and socialize. But 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 then they feel isolated, they feel trapped. Um, and and in, in my industry, the, the, the workplace industry, architecture, design, and that, it's quite common for, for people to to come from all walks of life or sorry all, all from all different yeah. countries and, and work um, on pretty low basic salaries to begin with in, in, a, in, a, in a practice and obviously that means yeah. then that they, they can't afford to be in these great lovely places and they haven't got their belongings around them or their family or so on so so I think that is um, again something that came out the, the research was that portion of the population that we we kind of don't really think about because we tend to think of loneliness with 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 elder, elderly people yeah so there's been a great deal of speculation around virtual versus in person mm. and i know that you were talking about this even prior yeah. to covid related to an employee's loneliness sense of connection what does the research say so again you, you're right because we, we did the research before this terrible pandemic but what what our research showed, um, and others, but what our research showed is that people who work from home extensively certainly mm-hmm. more likely to suffer from loneliness. So we, we got people to fill out some of the standard loneliness scales, and then we looked at their primary workplace. Um, and we certainly found a correlation between people spending more time at home or more time out of the office um, uh, and, and loneliness. Now, I, I, for me, it's, it's definitely when you drill down, it's more to do with people being alone at home than people, say, being mobile and working on client sites and traveling and, and all of that. Yeah. So that's what we found be, be, before before yeah. lockdown. And and, and at the other end of the scale, we also found high levels of loneliness for people who were in the office, but in a private office on their own. Mm-hmm. And there's also a thing about it's lonely at the top, because what you find is senior senior leadership, again, they tend to have their own spaces, lock, close the doors, or they're, they're kind of in and out of meetings, they're not seeing their colleagues or their, their team, so they can suffer from loneliness. But yeah, definitely the, the homeworking, uh, excessive homeworking, um, for particular people can lead to loneliness. Again, there's conflicting research because when you start looking at personality types and all of that, some people can cope better with loneliness mm-hmm. than others. 
uh, sorry, some people can cope better with homeworking and therefore don't suffer mm-hmm. loneliness uh, because of uh, either personality or personal circumstances. So I, it's like all these things. It's, it's a matter of balance. I mean, I think the first thing is to recognise that some people are more prone to this than others. So some people are mm-hmm. going to be seeking that interaction socializing in the office and, and, and it is it is socializing it's not just interaction collaboration i need to work with my colleagues teamwork uh, although yeah. the creativity thing is a big part of it but it's just coming into the office to socialize and to catch up with people yeah. and to chat and that and that's a big part of work actually and it's through those interactions we build trust and then we go on and start to work with people but there's certainly people who are more prone to missing out on that socializing than, than others and they're the ones that are going to again be more prone to suffering from loneliness so you talk about four different types of relationships that workplaces can foster and i'd love for you to talk about that maybe there's four maybe yeah. maybe more and how should we design differently for them yeah from memory the the four were meeting people business relationships, social relationships, and belonging. And again, that that was born out of both the survey work and then some follow-up workshops that Lend-Lease and uh, colleagues uh, um, conducted. Um, So, yeah, uh, meeting people. Basically, what what you're trying to do there is um, create spaces where people can come together, bump into each other almost, so we, we, we found lots of different ones, but the, the top three that came, or the top four that came out of that was um, large um, tea point breakout spaces. Um, so mm-hmm. that again, people, and, and it seemed to be this thing about, it, sometimes it doesn't have to be the best tea point because when people are waiting for the kettle to boil or waiting for the cup of tea, mm-hmm. that's when they've got a common purpose and they start asking questions and, and, and getting to know each other. So, but yeah, ju- just a tea point. And when you say when you say tea point, that's I can guess what you're saying, but because we're not used to that uh, terminology, like say a coffee vend area, breakout space, chill out space, but somewhere where you can get some refreshments. Um, yeah, obviously being British, we refer to it as tea points. And then uh, spaces for um, activities. So again, where people come together and they've got a shared purpose so they can do activities. And it's not always about the foosball and the table, tennis tables, ping pong tables. But mm-hmm. th- think about the people who, who kind of like to play chess or cards or, or video games. You know, there's other ways that people can can uh, interact uh, t- together. Um, uh, yeah. um but, but game spaces did, did, did seem to be quite interesting. And then um, maybe those uh, multifunctional spaces can be used for things like low, for things like yoga uh, and uh, other classes and things like that. So if you've mm-hmm. got a, a, a large space that you can use to have social, some kind of social events, interaction classes, uh, but make them varied, you know, it's just, it's not always about sports. There's, there's other things that people enjoy. Um, and um, and another big one was a was a kind of garden terrace. Um, it, it becoming more and more popular now uh, in the UK, despite our rubbish weather. But people do like their outdoor spaces, as at, which is where we started, wasn't it? The whole biophilic thing. But people do mm-hmm. like their outdoor spaces, and again, it's just something about being outside and in that informal setting. Uh, people are open up to each other and have a chat. 
Um, yeah. Business relationships, as you can imagine, that's more about how you arrange the office itself, um, providing um, drop-in tables for visitors, um, lots of informal meeting areas, um, again, on-floor breakout spaces, but so where people come together and, and, and chill, but but they might, again, just start up a conversation, uh, intimate, mm-hmm. quiet spaces, and so on. Um, also, just use things like... Um, team team notice boards and um Mm -hmm. when you come into a team for the first time hopefully you will have some kind of induction and you'll be shown around the space and introduced to people to your teammates but that doesn't always happen but just having something like a board with all the team faces on it and their names it just means you can approach people and say oh hello and what what are you doing or you if people see you looking at that board they might come up come over and say oh hello you knew uh, are you part of the team so it it just it does seem a bit basic that sometimes we forget and and you can imagine now when some people have been working for a year and they still haven't been in the office and met their teammates so how how do you I know do that and I I, you know, the first time I heard you speak of that, I instantly thought we did this exercise as a team at HKS where we all took Finder, and then we posted that for our teams on the walls. And like, it's so powerful because, you know, I'll have an interaction with someone or I'll be, I'll be planning a meeting. We have, you know, fairly large teams Mm. and sometimes I haven't worked with these other members. And so I go, I go to there and I look like, okay, this person's high in achiever or high in, you know, or organization like input. I'm like, okay, I need to speak in that language so that I can help to meet them where they are and not like get mired in the details, or I need to give them all the details so yeah. that they like fully get it. Um, and I think that that can be so helpful to, to both identify mm-hmm. as a team and, yeah. and build that. Yeah. And then also to to learn about your team members. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So and keep going. I always uh, yeah. suggest that, and, I, and it happened when I worked for an architect's practice. We we used to have every Thursday, we would down tools at maybe four o'clock in the afternoon, and then we we'd go mm-hmm. through to the to the you know the big boardroom or whatever, and someone would be presenting. We'd all be given a beer if you wanted it, or, or you know beverage of your yeah. choice, and. And we'd listen to someone talking and, and, we, and we always got someone that was more experienced talking and then we'd get a junior member of staff mm-hmm. to do a presentation. Mm-hmm. What are they mm-hmm. working on? Or if they've not, if they've only just joined, tell us a little bit about yourselves and what were your previous projects yeah. and that kind of thing. And that, that gets them known and, and gets people noticed. And again, you just got to be a little bit wary that introverts and, and some people might not be so comfortable doing full on presentations uh, but there's mm-hmm. other ways of sharing their work and, and, and getting them, getting them known by people. So, so you know, so we want to, we want people to, we want we want to create spaces that allow people to meet each other. That might then foster mm-hmm. these business relationships or social relationships. Yeah. Because as I said earlier, mm-hmm. my, my other research I've done, collaboration requires trust and respect and the way to gain trust with people is to get to know them and that's normally through social interaction social relationships so again provide those multifunctional spaces garden terraces and um, 
you know, in, in the staff restaurant. Some people might want to sit on their own or they might want to sit in little groups of two, but also think about the, those kind of large, we, we call them wagamama style tables, where people, <laughs> you know, groups of eight might want to come together. It can be daunting if you're not part of that eight, which is why we don't say just have tables of eight. You, you mm-hmm. Sometimes you need the smaller yeah. tables as well, because otherwise people may feel a little bit overwhelmed by it. And then the mm-hmm. final one was that sense of belonging, wasn't it? So, yeah, as I mentioned, the, the team boards came out particularly uh, important for that with the photos and showing what work's yeah. going on in the team and showing who's running the projects and so on. Spaces for people to, to bump into each other and, 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 it, and kind of bump into each other naturally. It, you, you don't want to force it too much. You, you want it to... You want it to feel like it's a natural thing to do. I'm just going to go down there and grab a tea and then there's someone else. You don't want it yeah. kind of contrived. and uh, it, it, Sometimes that puts people off as well. I think that's so well said. Bump into each other naturally and not to force it. And mm. that's sort of why that shared activity or that, you know, focal. So, okay, so, so recap. The four are... There's the bringing people together, business relationships, social relationships, and... Sense of belonging, Sense of belonging, yes. I was like, all right, I just want to picture all of those connected back. Okay, so a real quick kind of follow-up to that is if you... Let's say that you're, you know, a small office, small budget. Mm. What are some of those little tweaks that you can make? I can start to imagine some, but do you kind of... Yeah, well, say this this doesn't have to be expensive. We're not talking about big, yeah. grandiose things. Um, I mean, obviously, space itself is expensive. But as I said, there's no reason why a, a meeting space can't be used for lunchtime social events or classes or, or the, you know, ta- if, if you're going to put tables and chairs in there make sure that they can be folded and they're flexible or they're on wheels so you can create a space for yoga but it's not all about um football uh, you know uh, team sports actually back in my bre days um, where again where we started we were really mm-hmm. big into our social events i was actually the uh, the chair of the social committee so we, we were always <laughs> running events um, you're giving so much of yeah, yourself away well, right now. Well, I love it's key. it. We're, love we're it. running events all the time, um, you know, quizzes and um, um, kind of bands yeah. and musics and discos mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, but also the, the the sports scene was also very big. We we had um, uh, volleyball, we had tennis, we had snooker, table tennis, football, obviously rugby, and most lunchtimes people were out doing some kind of sport or one of the other social events um and i learned i got to know a lot of people because that site had about 18 20 different buildings and and this is real siloing we talk about siloing in organizations this is like each department had its own building and you you (laughs) never got to know the people in the building unless you were like playing them and then you yeah. suddenly realise that when you've got a problem, a work problem that you can't resolve, you think, ah, oh, but they might know the answer because normally they, they were a different discipline. So that kind of social and sports event is really important. And so back to what can you do if it's a small space? As I said, it, it, 
first of all, you're probably going to have a meeting room. So see how you can adapt that to use for different things. You've got to organise the events or, um, eat, to be honest, mm-hmm. even if it's just a social after work or drink down the pub, that, that's, yeah. that's as good for, for many. Um, and then, you, you know, every, we, we have to provide some kind of venti point area, but put a few tables and chairs around there and make it, uh, pleasant enough to sit there or even better if yeah. you if you have got access to the outside kind of make make that available so you might yeah. you might be in, in in a building on a business park but but you might have a picnic table outside and if you've got access to that quick access to that and people can take their teas and coffees out there that doesn't cost you any extra money it's just having that little bit right. of accessibility i think i think the real issue is the sense of awareness you you need to acknowledge that some people can suffer from loneliness but they're not going to tell you that and it's not always mm-hmm. overt they're going to hide it as well and what happens is then those people seem it's a vicious circle because then those people seem like they're a little bit distanced from their colleagues or mm-hmm. you know they're not they're not very sociable are they they're not joining in well and again, this happens with introverts all the time as well. But yeah. that, that's just their nature. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It's just their nature. So you, you have to be aware of that and just make them, you, you have to make the effort. And what happens in the workplace is people say, oh, well, they don't join in. So then they don't get asked anymore. And it might be that they mm. they didn't want to join in that first time, the second time, because they didn't feel confident. But then by the time they gain the confidence, they say, actually, I wouldn't mind coming out for a drink with you guys they feel like they've left it too late. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that's so good. You know, one of the questions I had was around like, what are outside of the built, you know, space, like what are some other considerations? But I feel like you just really nailed a lot of those. Are there anything else that comes to mind? I'd say it, 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 because I think you have to do both. There's only so much we can do with design and the built environment, but a lot of it comes down to good management practices, practices, good leadership, and um, just that kind of awareness. So one of my sort of follow-up questions, looping back to both this, but also what you had talked about at the beginning, that balance of loneliness and privacy. And I, I remember the first time that we met, I, I was like so blown away by that because it had been something that I had kind of noticed is that balance of sometimes people need enough privacy so that they feel like they can have their own boundaries so that then they can connect, um, which is kind of, it so well articulates the difference between loneliness and social isolation. Um, And I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit more about that, especially in the context of the open office. Yeah. Again, yeah. The open office. Well, there's a whole episode in itself, isn't it? Um, (laughs) I am am actually an advocate of of open plan design, but it has to be done properly. And an open plan design doesn't just mean seas of desks with no partitioning at all. And and in the UK in particular, the offices are becoming denser and denser and that causes issues so you, you're right um some some people struggle more with being on show than than others um and you, and again some of us are just better at knowing when people want to be left alone to get on and not be disturbed or just have a bit of peace and quiet and and others just aren't so good at picking up on those cues and in, in fact mm-hmm. people wear headphones in the office as you know um but a lot of the time they're not even playing anything. They're just wearing headphones to say, <laughs> leave me alone, do not disturb. 
that, that's all it is. It's a do not disturb. I've never done that. If that's what you're saying. Um. <laughs> you know, it goes on um, because it's a good visual clue to leave yeah, me alone. Totally. Um, so again, just, just give people boundaries and respect. If you can see that they're in the middle of typing an email or they look like they're, they're getting their head down or maybe they're, they've maybe they've they've hidden themselves in the corner in a dark space and they're reading a book and that might be for a reason you don't i mean people are very good if they if they kind of want to interact they'll normally put themselves in a position where they're kind of accessible and available and if they don't want to interact they'll kind of hide themselves away so for people looking to design a space that you know, has that open office component, but also supports the privacy, especially for introverts or other people that need it. What are just like a few quick tips that you could give them? Um, so, as I said, if if you can, don't make it too dense. Don't don't have blocks yeah. of eight, ten, twelve desks. Have blocks of four desks or two desks or six desks at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't necessarily have to put them in in serried ranks and lines. You know, you can break up the space and make it a little bit more interesting. Nooks and crannies is is, is probably a good one. Create little pockets yeah. of interest, dead ends, small corners of space. Use bookshelves, planting, screening, whatever, to create these little yeah. pockets of space and just break up the space. If if you introduce um, desk sharing, agile working. Um, then what what you'll find mm-hmm. is then people start to choose the the spaces that that they, that support them that they they're most comfortable in. So they might find they'll start mm-hmm. to choose the spaces based on the acoustics, uh, the the light, and so on. You can create areas that are deemed quiet areas, quiet zones. You may even not allow phones mm-hmm. in there. But again, you you can you can support that by visualizing it by having a few higher partitions. I'm not saying walls necessarily, mm-hmm. but break up the space. Use bookshelves. Use books, which are also great for absorption, and just kind of create a library kind of ambiance to the space. And then yeah. people, uh, yeah. there's something in the environmental psychology. Uh, so quite often when we go into a space, we know how to behave. If you go into a library or a church, because of prior experience expectations you know exactly yeah. how to behave so you can kind of recreate those visual clues to to so that when people go into certain spaces they oh this is a quiet space obviously if you go in there's lots of small tables and chairs and it's the kind of the acoustics are pretty lousy it's going to be buzzy vibrant stimulating you know that's not a quiet zone but if you go somewhere where it's maybe the the lighting's a little bit more subdued maybe there's heavier furnishings mm-hmm. lots of carpets and rugs and then people go, oh, okay, this is a little bit more of a chilled uh, domestic yeah, space. Totally. I love it. So speaking of all of these tips and tricks, you have a book coming out. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. It's called Beyond the Workplace Zoo, Humanizing the Office. So basically my, my idea is that today's many, many, I should say, not all, many of today's offices um, modern offices they're, they're, they're so bad they are so dense uh, that it feels like you're in a zoo um, it feels like the zoos of old um, where where the animals were on display and had very little space uh, modern zoo enclosures are completely different and actually uh, Judith Herwagen uh, over in the States uh, mm-hmm. uh, she talks about how office design can learn from modern zoo design and how we can design for different species different types of animal um, and, and give them 
the space and the facilities that they require to thrive rather than uh, rather than not so yeah so what i've tried to do in the book is draw on some analogies to 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 zoos um done a deep dive into some of the psychology and what what can the psychology tell us about how we design spaces for people but I have kept it quite high level. My, my, my intention, you know, it's a 200-page book and it's intended something you can read on the train or, or, or whatever. It's meant to be – it's not a book for specialists. It's it's a book to introduce um, – well, anyone who's interested in design or even people or offices or business to just introduce them to some design principles based around human needs. And I would just say some of the things that I hear you talk about are – you know, it's almost like, okay, well, that's intuitive, but also you could use your intuition to make a completely yeah. different decision. But once once you're like, no, it's actually based in research and has this foundation of human subjects versus you saying, well, I'm an extrovert. I think everybody I wants just, to do this. Erin, I, I was just about yeah. to say that. It's if if we're not given any information, then, then we will design for what we want. Now, we're yes. all different. Um, and, and as yeah. I said, the first thing is to recognize that differences. Also, because of cost and space efficiency, we tend to design for the average. So you, can, so the yeah. space is homogenous based on an average, based on the norm. But unfortunately, the norm doesn't represent everyone. When I Again, when I dug deep into some of the research around things like lighting, it's amazing of the mm-hmm. range of lighting that different people prefer. But we kind of give them this number in the middle. And and actually, then you find what you find with that is it's it's only the preference of a small percentage of people. People actually, well, if anything, of course, they want control over lighting and temperature and all of that. And you can do that to some extent. Again, more difficult in, in open plan than if you're in your own little uh, yeah. caged office. <laughs> but uh, but but because um, I'm not a big fan of um, just putting people in boxes. It's like you know what we I, yeah. you can do that at home or, or whatever. If you're coming in the office, actually, I appreciate you do need to focus yeah. sometimes. But the whole uh, yeah. even more so these days where people are working from yeah. home, the office is about bringing people together more and more. So that so the office has to provide that as well as all the collaboration and social space. Um, but yeah, what what I what I what it reminded me because because even though I'm a psychologist, you kind of forget this stuff. You kind of you kind of go with the flow and you get into the norms and that. And then I was reading research mm-hmm. going, actually, the biggest problem we've got is we're designing for the average and we're not designing for everyone. And and that's yes. that's why you end up with eighty percent dissatisfaction with workplaces and <laughs> only fifty percent of people yes. saying they they're productive in their workplace because we're not we're yeah. not catering for them. Mm-hmm. So that is a great kind of transition and summary to to out of all of these things, you know, that that I think you've provided such a wealth of information. If you just had one thing that you wish more people knew and used to design for social connection, what would that be? The social connection, providing those social spaces and allowing people to socialize. That that meeting with your colleagues and grabbing a quick coffee, and it shouldn't just be a quick coffee. It it it, it could be a twenty thirty minute coffee, but 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 over that time, you could well be talking about work anyway. You're certainly going to be getting to know each other and socialising. That's just going to build trust and help in in your long term work relationship. And 
and don't think of it as oh they're they're kind of not working it, it's kind of part of work is that social interaction and getting to know people so provide the space to do that good coffee is important it's got to be comfortable but i say more so than ever it shouldn't be frowned upon it, it shouldn't be seen that people are just taking time off work then they're taking time away from the screen. They're taking their time away from maybe some heavy computation. But what they're doing is they're re-energizing, they're refreshing, and at the same time, they're getting to know people. So That's wonderful. Well, Nigel, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time and your story with me and with everyone. It's been such a privilege and joy to talk with you. Yeah, you too. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Shared Space. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe wherever you're listening and head on over to Apple to give us a review. It really helps to spread the word and we really appreciate it. I hope that your day is filled with honest emotion, kindness, and connection. Thanks so much and take care.